and that's Krista. So today we're going to be talking about a really great book, and I'm going to introduce it with a quote. It is, I love her, and that's beginning and end of everything. Mm. This is a quote from F. Scott Fitzgerald about Zelda. So today we're going to be reviewing The Great Gatsby. Yeah. Another thing I love about this book is um, the dedication. Mm-hmm. So in the dedication, um, F. Scott goes once again to Zelda. So we are here to say fuck your English AP class and welcome to our podcast. Yes. The best reason to read literature is for pleasure. Mm-hmm. This is a very well-written book with a lot of complexity, but you need to tell your English teachers that complexity for the sake of complexity is bad writing. I agree. Like, I'm so, I, I got so annoyed in these classes where they're like, what's this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? Like, yeah. fuck, bitch. It's a good fucking story. It's just a good story. It's I, a good read. I completely resonate with that because I did, I took dual enrollment English, mm-hmm. not AP English, which is a yeah. little bit different because a lot of the, like, typical English books we didn't read, mm-hmm. um, but we still analyze them the same way. And it's like, I don't give a shit why he thought the cloud looked purple. You just don't. I don't. We're like, why are the curtains pink in this room? I don't know. I'm not a decorator. Right. Maybe like you're describing a room. In that person's brain. No. It's just. get it. So it's just so frustrating to me. So I just want to tell everybody if you're listening to this for your AP English class or dual enrollment. Yeah. Good luck. It's it, yeah, and this is not a good resource for that. I don't know. I mean, it could be like you know, we're gonna we're just gonna get really real. We're gonna get really real. We're gonna get really real because I, I definitely appreciated reading this as an older person. Yeah, I was gonna say I think a lot of times when you read these kinds of books as a high schooler, you haven't had the life experiences no. that you need. And this book has a lot of life experience. Yeah, in it. absolutely. The characters are our age. Yes. Yeah, which so is crazy. That's why I was really glad to read this. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my god. Like, so, Nick Carraway, our, like, narrator, is like, I turned 30 today. And I was like, god damn, boy. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and you're still partying like crazy? I love it. <laughs> so, we are going to review The Great Gatsby. Again, this is a good fucking story, so we're going to raise our glasses and drink. But first, what are we drinking today, Krista? We are drinking whiskey highballs. Mmm, delicious. Which, apparently, anything is a highball, technically, as yeah. long as it's, like, liquor and soda water. Mm-hmm. So we have whiskey and, and ginger ale today with an orange slice, which is super delicious. I've already pretty much finished mine. That's so funny because you cringe the whole time. Yeah. Is it better now, though? No, I just put it in a straw and just don't let it linger in my mouth. And just swallow <laughs> don't it. Don't let it linger in your mouth? What? No, just swallow it directly. <laughs> That's my um, motto for a couple of things. <laughs> That's how I drink green smoothies, too, because they don't taste great. <laughs> But they're good for you, so you just you just swallow it and just don't let it linger in your mouth. Yeah, anyways, yeah. yeah. So the recipe for this drink is really easy. You take your liquor of choice. Mm-hmm. So Jessica made these for us today with probably you know two fingers worth of liquor in the, of um, yeah. two two and a half of uh, whiskey at the bottom, just whatever whiskey she had, and then the rest of the glass is ginger ale. With some ice and a beautiful little orange wedge, which I really think gives it a good, good flavor. I love a garnish. And you know, highballs don't normally come with a garnish, but... Yeah, just, I think it brings it up a little bit. It does. Uh, so we were talking about this a little bit earlier, especially, I feel like, in the 20s, the goal when people were drinking was just to get wasted. Yes. Um, and especially because the liquor of that time was not top quality liquor. It was 
pretty bad. Bathroom liquor. It's bathroom liquor, bathtub gin, <laughs> like swill whiskey. It's not good stuff. Not good. So a lot of times people would just like cover it with things like ginger ale or club soda so that you're not missing too much of the liquor benefits but you're covering the taste of this terrible yeah drink you're not so. drinking it straight right exactly no no so, no that's what we're having today do you want to cheers i do i actually finished this oh good job thank you wow good for us yeah okay <laughs> Okay, so, um... Do you want to tell us about Mr. Fitzgerald? Yes. Uh, just want to let everybody know, to all the Scott Fitzgerald fans out there, I'm going to apologize. <laughs> I'm a little biased because I learned about Zelda Ooh. before I learned about Scott. I still prefer prefer Zelda, but um, I'm going to try. So, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I'm just getting ready. I'm prepared. It's a lot. It's a lot to talk about, okay. you know? All right, so F. Scott Fitzgerald, further known as Scott um, in my little spiel, his full name is Francis Scott Key Fitzgerald. Jesus, that's Named mouthful. after um, a distant relative okay. that we all know. Okay. Um, so he's well known for his novels and short stories and very, very turbulent personal life. He was born September 4th, 1896 in St. Paul, Minnesota. He had an intense romantic imagination and what he once called, excuse me, <laughs> ginger ale makes me burpy. And I, oh, I did it again. <laughs> a heightened sensitivity to the promise of life. Now, he quoted saying that and that just like, I've read like The Side of Paradise. And of course, we just read The Great Gatsby and that just a heightened sensitivity to the promise of life is just so much of what this book is and then almost like the lifestyle that we all live yeah so crazy so um he attended princeton and he became a prominent figure in the literary life of the school making friends with many fellow writers however at princeton he came he comes from like a well-off family but he was never like super rich and then like you know going to princeton like meeting all these like super rich people like gave him like this idea like this is what he wants in his life Mm -hmm. how is he going to achieve that while meeting while attending Princeton, he met and fell in love with socialite Geneva King. Okay. Yeah, that's a mouthful. They were in love, and she is the inspiration of many of his characters, including Daisy. It is reported they did not marry because her father warned Scott by saying this, poor boys shouldn't think of marrying rich girls, and their relationship ended. Ooh. Yeah, a little bit of foreshadow, a little bit of... Mm, yeah, a little bit of... Personal, personality a little bit of personality thing. So, in 1917, Fitzgerald dropped out of Princeton and joined the army. I mean, he wasn't really doing very well in school anyway, so he is considered like he was kicked out. But um, he was able to uh, finagle it and call it like a medical leave. Mm-hmm. So he joined the army. Never actually went to Europe or anything. And then during this time, he feared dying before writing. Or being published, so he wrote a novel really quickly and it was rejected. In 1918, he was transferred to Alabama, where he met his muse and future wife, Zelda Sayer. Mm-hmm. The original flapper. Yes. The only flapper. Fitzgerald left to New York to work on his novel because uh, Zelda was all like, um, I need to know that you're going to be successful to like take care of us. There's a bunch of other crazy drama because they were engaged and then she broke off the engagement 
and he went on a drinky binge for like about three weeks. Wow. Which some scholars say the only reason why he stopped drinking binge is because the prohibition started. <laughs> um, but during this drinking binge, he wrote his first book, um, which was a revision of the book that had been rejected called This Side of Paradise. And that was published in 1920. This book had immediate success to it, partly also because a lot of the dialogue comes from Zelda's letters and diary. So Fitzgerald and Zelda were married and moved to New York, where they quickly became celebrities and were considered the prince and princess of their generations. They would get rip-roaring drunk, attend parties, and have dramatic fights. Okay. So, like... Sounds like a healthy relationship. So healthy. They've been known to, like, start drinking early in the morning, go to a party, have one drink, and just fall asleep on the couch. Nice. Because they'd been drinking all day. Okay. Um, Zelda even, like... Uh, swam in the Union Square fountain and all these things. Super fun. In this time, she gave birth to a girl. Okay. And when Zelda gave birth, she said an iconic line that Daisy says in The Great Gatsby. Mm-hmm. Now, they loved being the iconic characters of the jazz jazz age, which that term was coined by Scott, but it scared them. And you can see that in the second novel of The Beautiful and the Damned because they were afraid of, like, how this lifestyle was going to affect them. They decided to move to Paris, well, France, because they went to the Riviera first, and they became a part of the group now called the Lost Generation. Oh, okay. You know, with Hemingway and stuff. Yes. And Fitzgerald and Hemingway were friends, but Hemingway hated Zelda. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, completely disliked her. Wow. But, I mean, I don't know. Hemingway is just such a dude. <laughs> Uh, we can get into that later if we ever read any Hemingway. It was this time in Europe where The Great Gatsby was written, and while fellow writers praised it, it was snubbed by critics and audiences so much that his publishers still had copies of the first printing after his death. Wow. Like, he got nothing from this book. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Wild. Yeah, like, and it didn't become popular again until, like, you know, getting into, like, the 50s and 60s yeah. and stuff. That's insane. It's so insane because it's just so famous now. Yeah. So crazy. So Scott supplemented their lifestyle because obviously his book didn't do very well by writing for magazines and short stories. And the next decade was very unhappy for the couple. Scott drank too much and Zelda had several mental breakdowns from which she never Mm -hmm. recovered. She tried to overdose on sleeping pills. She threw herself down some stairs. Wow. There's a lot of other stuff involved in that. But this is about Scott. Um, and that led her to being in a sanitarium. Mm-hmm. Now, at this time, Tender as the Night was published. Um, of course, Tender as the Night also follows part of his and Zelda's relationship because it's about a psychiatrist falling in love with his patient. <laughs> <sighs> so typical. I mean, you write what you know, apparently. Uh, apparently. Um, with his despair over Zelda, whatever, and unhappiness with his success, he was an incurable alcoholic, nearly destitute, and unpopular. He was extremely unpopular during the Great Depression because he was considered an elitist and materialistic. Just leaving that whole, like, crazy lifestyle. And by the time the Great Depression came around, people weren't really into that. So he wasn't making enough money for his habits and Zelda's medical bills. He moved to Hollywood to work on scripts where he fell in love with Sheila Graham. He's also had several affairs. Of course. Of course. So many affairs. With whom he lived with for the rest of his life because Zelda was in in a sanitarium. He was not very successful in Hollywood because he wrote too much prose for his scripts, but he was able to start on his last unfinished novel, The Last Tycoon. He died of a heart attack at the age of 44. 
As we know, The Great Gatsby is considered the defining novel of the 20th century and is also called The Great American Novel. Mm-hmm. That's great. I didn't know all that stuff. I knew some Crazy. of it, but not all of it. Yeah, I like, you know, like, some of it. Um, so there's some things where, so Zelda tried to write some books and stuff too, but Scott told her that she was being, like, she was plagiarizing because she was writing about their life as well. I mean... Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I he's just such a gaslighter. Yeah. I can't even get into this. So let's tell our listeners what this book is about. Okay. So these books that I feel like people know very well are very hard to summarize. Really? Yeah, just because it's like I don't want to be redundant. I don't want to say something that people already know. Oh, yeah, I know what this book too is much about. Detail. Okay. So this is my summary for the book. Okay. In the summer of 1922, Nick Carraway moves to the middle from the Middle West to West Egg and commutes to the city as a bondman. He connects with a distant cousin, Daisy, who lives across the bay in East Egg. His home in West Egg is next door to a massive place that seems to always be lit like a Christmas tree and every weekend is filled to the brim with people and music and gaiety. Nick is invited to one of the parties and he soon becomes friends with Gatsby and learns that Gatsby was involved with Daisy five years ago. Through Nick, Gatsby and Daisy reconnect and begin an affair through the summer. After a while, Gatsby's ready for Daisy to leave her husband, and after a very stressful and hot summer day, Daisy is not able to end things with her husband, Tom, the way that Gatsby's asking her to. Gatsby and Daisy head back to East Egg ahead of the rest of the party, and when they finally get to the Valley of Ashes, they find a gruesome scene. A woman, who is Tom's mistress, has ran out into the road and was hit by a car and killed instantly. Tom, who is wanting to keep his name clear, sets the woman's husband, his name is Wilson, toward Gatsby as the culprit for the accident and the affair that Wilson is now aware of. Uh, So Wilson shows up at Gatsby's house, shoots him, and then shoots himself. And that's it. And did I miss anything? No, that was a good... Anything that we're not going to talk about in the discussion? No, that was a good synopsis. Okay. Very good synopsis. Can we take a quick break since I have no drink? Do a booze break. I don't have any drink either. A booze break. We'll be back. All right. We are back from our booze break. We both have a nice, lovely, refreshed highball. And we're going to head into talking about some of our key characters. Let's start with our narrator, Nick Carraway. Okay. What you got to say about good old Nick? Um, good old Nick. He basically describes his personality on the first page, mm-hmm. where he says, in my younger, more vulnerable years, classic opening line, he's tolerant, open-minded, quiet, a good listener. Mm-hmm. And Slow to judgment. Yes. And he, I think he's attracted to the lifestyle, but he also finds it damaging. Like, he's attracted to it, but he doesn't get, like, terribly involved in it. But I do think he's looking for something more... But coming from, like, the Midwest to the East, like, I don't know. I just, um, one, a point I do want to say that I do think Nick is very lonely. I think he's very lonely. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of things that I wrote down about him. Um, one of the things that he says to describe himself is, I am one of the few honest people that I have ever known. And I think that's a good character point to have to, for anybody to be an honest person. Um, cause I don't feel like he's honest to the point of detriment to, to other people. I feel like he just views them honestly. He 
he tries to see people as for what they are and not for the persona that they present. Really? Because I feel like he didn't figure out Daisy's character until the very end of the book. Really? Yeah. So, like, he was always, like, enamored with the charm of her voice. Her voice, her voice, her voice. And it isn't until Nick is saying things like, man, her voice, Gatsby says, like, yeah, it's full of money. Right. That he just gets, like, hit with this idea of Daisy and how Daisy's living this lifestyle and she's living it for for money. Yeah. Like, that old money versus, like, that new money kind of thing. Okay. All right. What (laughs) else do you have about Nick? Um... Yeah, again, I do think he's very lonely. And page 60, he has his quote saying, I felt a haunting loneliness sometimes and felt it in others. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about how that fits so much into the lifestyle that we live now. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're in 2020. Um, we use media and Instagram. And, like, we all try to put on this, like, face that we're not lonely or we're not sad. But we are. Mm-hmm. And then so when Nick says, like, says this like I felt a haunting loneliness and he sees people partying and out having a good time but he's still feeling this loneliness in other people and I think that counteracts Jordan's quote of saying I love big parties they're so intimate Mm -hmm. because they're not they're not like you're just being fake see but no I think they are really yeah because say you have a party of three people and you want to have a one-on-one conversation with one of those other people the third person in the room is automatically a part of that conversation. Whereas if you have a party of 20 people and you want to have a one-on-one conversation with one of those people, you have the opportunity to be more intimate and have this closer conversation with that person because the other 18 people are involved with the other 18 people. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. I I understood that. That makes sense. Yeah. I didn't understand that. For to me, I was, like, saying, like, oh, this just, like, counteracts, like, with, like, the lifestyle and everything like that. Oh, I like that. Hmm. I really didn't have very much on Nick. Okay. What else do you have? Um, I, so in the beginning of the book, which I think is part of his retrospective a little bit, not quite what was happening, like, as it was happening, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty and all that. Like a, like a memoir. Yeah. So he says that he he pretty much says he's tired of this chaos and the immorality with the exception of Gatsby. And then later he says, I disapproved of him from beginning to end. And I just felt like, I'm not sure how I feel about it, you know? But because Nick knew that Gatsby was lying about a lot of things. Right. And he didn't figure out the truth until like the last day that they're together. Right. So this chaos and this immorality is perpetuated by Mm -hmm. Gatsby right Mm -hmm. next door to him Mm -hmm. but he's giving him a pass and I just feel like it's a little contradictory kind of like you were saying like I just you know Nick is contradictory so he's all about like yeah I'm like the most honest person I know but he's hanging out with Jordan yeah who is a liar Mm -hmm. she lies about everything and Daisy and Tom they were all liars they're all liars yeah and that's why I say like you know Part of the reason why he becomes so disillusioned is because nobody's honest about who they are. Nobody's honest about what they want. The only person who's really honest about what they want is Gatsby. Mm-hmm. Yes, he lies about, like, how he got the money in his name, but his intentions are honest and true. Yeah. He pretty much tells you straight from the beginning what he's after. Yeah. hmm And it's just, it's honestly really adorable. <laughs> I just, uh, I guess it's just adorable. But yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why... Nick disapproved of him and then also was like 
You're better than the bunch of them. We're all rotten. Yeah. That was a sweet moment. And that was the last compliment he ever... The only, the the only, only compliment, compliment he ever gave Gatsby. Yeah. And the last compliment he ever gave Gatsby. That's tough. It's very tough. Yeah. And it just makes me really sad, but I think that's what Nick appreciated in Gatsby. Mm-hmm. It's like his honest intentions and his work ethic to achieve a dream. Yeah. I agree. Mm-hmm. I like that. Okay. Are you ready to move on? Yeah. Do I talk about Daisy? Oh, sure. Let's talk about Daisy. You ready for Daisy? I think so. Okay. Do you want me to start? Mm-hmm. Okay. I think Daisy is a little too earnest sometimes. Um, Describe that. So she just, I feel like, sure, Nick doesn't realize, you know, her intentions, her money intentions until later on in the story. But I don't feel like she's hiding that either. You know what I mean? Um, She's always very upfront about everything. She just feels so much. Uh, whether she's coming right out and saying it or not, she's she's always feeling so much. Um, but I think she's also sad. Like, oh, Daisy's so she's sad. She's so sad, but in a lovely way. Yeah. And when we talked a little that bit. That sad heroine, princess yeah. in a tower, yeah. in a castle kind of a thing. Right. Um, and we talked a little bit about her voice. And I love the way that her voice is described. Mm-hmm. Um, I, have a, I have a couple quotes if that's okay. Yeah, of course. Okay. Uh, Nick says, it was the kind of voice that the ear follows up and down as if each speech was an arrangement of notes Mm. that will never be played again. That was such a beautiful passage. I remember reading that. Yeah, and then he says, but a string of warmth flowed from her as if her heart was trying to come out to you, concealed in one of those breathless, thrilling words. And, like, sure, that may be, you know, like, it may just be all about money for her, but, like, just the way that he describes her voice is beautiful. Abraham makes fun of my voice all the time. <laughs> I'm like, I'm talking to him. He's like, you're talking and all I hear is wah, 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 wah. <gasps> Rude. I know. <laughs> I wish I could be like in this notes on like a you page. You have a very m- mellifluous voice. Mellifluous. Yes. Okay. A melodic voice. Okay. And it changes depending on what mood you're in. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, especially when we're drinking and you get really excited about something. Somebody. That's when your Britney voice comes out. Yeah. And she's, like, super pumped about everything. <laughs> and it's really cute. <laughs> so, but I think your regular voice is very melodic as well. Oh. Thank you. Thank you. I love that. So, what do you have about good old Daisy? My favorite quote. Oof, yeah. I know we're not doing quotes, but I think. I think it's about. It's it's character driven. It is character driven. So the quote is about so Daisy is Daisy's describing to Nick how sad she is mm-hmm. with her life. And like Daisy says, like, let me tell you what happened like when like my daughter was born. She's like, mm-hmm. I said, I'm glad it's a girl and I hope she'll be a fool. That's the best thing a girl can be in this world. A beautiful little fool. Mm-hmm. And it just describes so much because like yeah, you need to be pretty. And then in that time frame, if you're too smart, you're going to get, like, fucking gaslighted. Yeah. Like, how Tom is, like, cheating on her all the time, and then what, she's just supposed to ignore it? Right. To be a beautiful little fool and, yeah. like, turn your eyes away. Ignorance is bliss kind mm-hmm. of situation is what she's hoping for her daughter. Exactly. Just, I hope, you know, that you're a fool. Mm-hmm. You're pretty because you'll get what you need, but yeah. 
but you're not too smart to figure out some of the sad aspects of life. Yeah. I think she is extremely disillusioned with her marriage, but comfortable with it. Right. It's that security that she needs Mm -hmm. because if she acts on all these intelligent thoughts that she has and she knows that her husband is cheating and that she's not happy in her marriage, what's her other option? What are her other options? Imagine scandal. Right. Because scandals were a thing. Yeah. Back then. Like, even divorcing your husband was a scandal. A big scandal. And she had a kid. And she has a kid. They have a life that they built. Mm Mm-hmm. And if she is the one who initiates the divorce, then that tarnishes her name. And who's going to want to marry somebody who was so willing to divorce their husband? I mean, it's all these things, you know? Yeah. I think it's really interesting how, so, like, you know, Gatsby invites, like, Daisy and Tom to, like, one of his big parties. And mm-hmm. she's honestly, like, disgusted Yeah. by the whole scene. It's not like in the movies. Yeah. In the movies, it looks like she's having a great time. But the way it's described in the book, it's less like she's just... She's tolerating it. She tolerates it, but she's not really into that kind of lifestyle. And, like, that's one of my points I want to make is, like, that old money versus new money. Yeah. Or, like, the – because all the characters that Gatsby's bringing into these parties, like, they're actors. They're artists. They're singers. They're people who are creative and, like, wild. And then, like, that kind of old money thing has a little bit more rigor. Mm Mm-hmm. And I you think don't flaunt it. No, you don't flaunt it. Yep. Like you don't, and like all these people are just like flaunting excess, but right. old money doesn't like flaunt excess, mm-hmm. and she's just disgusted by it. I mean, keep in mind, Daisy doesn't drink, right? So it, she just might be like the sober girl at the party who's mm-hmm. like, "This is the worst fucking thing ever. Everybody's yeah. being fucking crazy. People are stupid. Why are you drunk?" <laughs> exactly. So yeah. again, that might just be like one of those more common sense things. Yeah, but. Gatsby was like, oh, she liked it. She liked it. And then Nick lied. That's like, he did have a couple little white lies. Yeah. Where he was like, yeah, she totally liked it. Knowing that she hated being at the party. He said she didn't like it. Really? Yeah, Gatsby was like, she didn't like it. Nick was like, no, I think she liked it. And Gatsby was like, no, she didn't like it. Okay. Yeah. I must have read that too fast. (laughs) I think I was just like, I was like. Just had to devour it. It was so good. It was, it was, this is such a. This is a classic novel, but it's such a great read. It's a, and it's a quick one. It's a quick it's read. It's very quick. Yeah. Yeah. Very quick read. But that's what I have to say about Daisy. Okay. Some of my other points about Daisy is that, you know, I'm like, oh, she's a great heroine. She's sad. She's disillusioned. And then we get to the end. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so disappointed in this character. Yeah. I think she puts on a little bit of that fool character that she wants for her daughter to get through, you know, the expectations that people have of her during this time where it's okay to be lavish and exuberant and just so extra about everything. Mm -hmm. And so she puts on that, oh, I'm, you know, just the cute, you know, I don't know that my husband's cheating on me (laughs) kind of thing. But really she does, you know, really she is going to, she would, she's going to choose security over happiness. Yeah, and then my disappointment is she ran somebody over and she drove off. Yeah, because she wanted to be secure. Yeah, she was like, oops, no. Yeah. And left with mm-hmm. with Tom. Yeah. And didn't show up for Gatsby's funeral. Mm. That part fucked me up. That part fucked me up. I was not okay with that. That's why you get to the end and everybody's just, Nick is just so disgusted by absolutely yep. every single person. Yep. 
except for Gatsby. Except for Gatsby. And I I actually side with him. I am disgusted by all of our characters. Mm-hmm. Especially when we get to the end. I'm just like, oh, all right, well, people suck. People fucking suck. Because they didn't horrible. care. I mean, no. how many of these people had actually met Gatsby? You know, that's it was true. just a party for them to attend. And that's what's so sad. Like, you give so much to people and, like, you throw these parties and you're like you're introducing people to others and then nobody comes to your funeral so do you think Gatsby would have cared that nobody came obviously with the exception of Daisy do you think he would have cared that none of these random people who showed up to his house Ooh, that's a really would have good come question. to the party it's not one of my questions but just like I don't think he would have cared no I think he would have cared that Daisy wasn't there I think he would have cared that Daisy wasn't there I think he would have cared that Wolfstein didn't come yeah um I think it was beautiful that his dad came. I was going to say, I think he would have been touched that his dad came. Yeah. But I don't think he would have cared that nobody else showed up. True. Oh, we're getting too much into Gatsby okay, right now. Yeah, He's I'm just sorry. such an enigmatic, charismatic, <laughs> yes. mysterious, mysterious car- character. All right, yes. so should we move on from Daisy? Are we done with Daisy? Let's move on. Let's talk about Tom for right, just bye, a few bitch. seconds. Bye, bitch. Bye, bitch. Uh, so Tom, Tom is Tom, Daisy's Tom. husband. And so this is a little bit into... Um, contrast of what we talked about with daisy he has a mistress and he flaunts that to every single person who will let him tell them and it's so incredibly tactless but kind of like we were talking about how people at gatsby's party flaunt themselves well i had a wrote a line down from the way nick describes these people they that go to gatsby's party and i just think it's a really cool line and i couldn't figure out how to work it into my notes but we're working it into the conversation nice nice love it when this happens he says they conducted themselves according to the rules of behavior associated with amusement parks so she's disgusted with these people who are flaunting their drunkenness and their chaos and this just exuberance of life um but Tom does the same thing about his mistress. He's flaunting her with this exuberance. And yeah. This well, she's described chaos. as this mistress described as having vitality. Yeah, she's sensual. And ooh, yeah. I my favorite one of my favorite lines is that like she carries her extra weight sensuously. Yeah, I and I'm like, like is that. that how I carry my <laughs> extra weight? How I carry? My can like, can I have a writer describe me, please? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my, ooh la la, exactly, yeah. (laughs) So I think it's just kind of in comparison to what we're talking about with Daisy Mm -hmm. and Tom, who just is flaunting this mistress like it's nobody's fucking business to people who it really isn't any business. So um, I wrote down a quote from uh, the way that Nick describes him, which I think is just the absolute perfect description. Are you ready for this? I am ready for it. I think I know what you're talking about. Okay. He says he's one of those men who reach such an acute, limited <gasps> yes. experience at 21 that everything afterwards savors of anticlimax. <laughs> I wrote that down, too. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that is perfect. That's How many people perfect. do we actually know like that? It just goes to show you, people don't grow. People don't grow. They just don't grow. Like, you're yeah. always going to find those people. Like, they reach this certain level in college or yep. in like high school and that's it and that's it that's where they're, that's where they're happiest yeah and like i think tom is extremely unhappy with his own life i think so too and he's rich he has like a, and then uh nick describes it as obscene and like disgusting amount of money yeah and he's like shocked that someone of their age has owns, as much money yeah or owns as many horses as what yeah. he's specifically talking about but it's like yeah, you're right. That's a lot of fucking money for somebody to be 30. All right, trust to fun own boy. A mansion and a fucking, you know, yeah, herd uh, like of at horses. East Egg, which is what? Is that Long Island? I'm pretty sure we're talking about Long Island, right? Maybe. I don't know. Huh. Potentially. 
beside the point. Beside the point. But, yeah. Just... In the fashionable district, thus I even wrote that down. West Egg, less fashionable. East Egg, more fashionable. Because that's how he describes it. Um, Nick also describes Tom as, and excuse me if I pronounce this word incorrectly, but I feel like that's just, like, my thing now. <laughs> it's just to pronounce words incorrectly. It's just to pronounce words incorrectly. Um, supercilious. Okay, I think that's right. Okay, where I wrote it down because I have to look up words. Sometimes, yeah, especially <laughs> in this book. Holy oh my shit. god. I was like, god damn, public, public fucking school did, like, not prepare me for the things I need to know. Anyway, supercilious. Behaving or looking as though one thinks one is superior to others. Mm-hmm. That also just describes Tom. Yeah, so absolutely. Well. Yeah. And I just see him at this, like, this, like, jockey stocky because he's like described as like a barrel of a man yeah he's and he says he has a cruel body Ooh, just the words in this book are just yeah. so so good so i don't know if our our listeners have gathered this yet and maybe i don't talk about it on the podcast but i don't really remember i have these crazy dreams that are very much influenced by what i do in the daytime okay so like we were talking about this earlier i've been listening to the hamilton soundtrack like i'm sure every single person in the world is doing right now and i like dream about the hamilton soundtrack which is really weird or like i just reread the twilight series and midnight sun which just came out and so i dreamt about vampires and it was really weird like were you like in the book or was it like your own story about vampires? i don't remember sometimes they're very vague and sometimes yeah. they're very specific Mm -hmm. so right after reading most of great gatsby i woke up like i was coming out of a dream thinking in very large words that i had no idea about i was like kind of coming awake and i could feel that luna was on my lap in in bed and i was like i have to dispose of luna in a way that will not disturb her slumber so that i may get a good bite of myself before the trees (laughs) (laughs) but because i had read the book who like and that's how they talk that's like that's like your language the language yeah so Mm -hmm. i like dreamt that i was talking in this language that i've been reading isn't that fucking weird that is so fucking weird so for me like my idea like that kind of thing i'm like well, I say so my main mind is thinking like, well, that's just the bee's knee sugar drop, or like, let's go down to the corner store and like have a dope, yeah, <laughs> kind of, kind of a thing, like yeah. that type of slang. And I wish I had a little bit more slang, yeah, in this novel. But I think that's what makes it so timeless. I, was gonna say, I don't think they they don't use a ton of that kind of no. slang yeah. in this book, even though it is very quintessentially twenties. Yes, but there's not really a lot of slang. I think that makes it timeless because sometimes so. when you read a book that's like nothing but slang, like. Anything by William Faulkner is just difficult. Um, yeah, I just like I'm just like oh my god, this like all this like Southern language. Yeah, what I just the fuck can't. Is this even I, like, I'm from Texas, and I just don't even. I, I just don't, don't even know. Yeah, I just can't even understand yeah. it. But words are so important. They really are. Um, uh, anything else about Tom? Oh yeah, I just like I love this whole scene at the very end. Like he just where he's like so you know he's feeling his life crashing down on him falling away because mm-hmm. like they go to the like daisy's like i'm gonna leave you yeah and then and she because she, she, she's talking to gatsby she's like you look so cool you're yeah. the coolest man who ever looked that like way one of those guys in the advertisements on the advertisements i love you <laughs> and tom's like whoa hold up hold on wait what, a second what's the shenanigans and like he, like he doesn't even like freak out there and then it's just crazy and then they go to the gas station and then wilson's like we're moving because like my wife is like doing stuff that i am now aware of and like tom's like thinking so much about daisy he's not realizing like wilson's turmoil right here yeah. and i love the quote 
here where it's like there is no confusion like the confusion of a simple mind because he's just watching his whole world yeah everything that used to be secure for him not be secure it's anymore crumbling. it's crumbling and yeah. i kind of want to be like nah! <laughs> you fucker <laughs> um i loved the contrast between mm-hmm. Because, like, Tom and Wilson have both just found out the exact same piece of information. Their wife is cheating on them. Yeah. And Wilson is physically ill. Yeah, because like, he he's all about his wife. He loves his wife he's so much. He's in the face and vomiting and sick. And Tom is unbothered, maybe? Yeah. Like, not unbothered, but, like, he's thinking about how that affects him. Mm-hmm personally and not how it affects his wife or his relationship Mm -hmm. and i just thought that contrast was so stark me too yeah Yeah, i just thought that it was really stark so like when i get to that scene i'm just like oh my god and then nick our narrator is like this dude's like not even realizing what's happening right now sorry i'm putting like nick's words in like you know like (laughs) a female 2020 vernacular vernacular. (laughs) can you imagine like rewriting it and be like like, and everybody's like, oh, shit, oh, what? Shit. It just ha- fucking happened? <laughs> oh, no, he did not just say that. <laughs> I feel like that would be funny, but, like, everybody else is seeing it. Like, God, like, Nick and Jordan are put in so many embarrassing situations. It's hilarious. Yeah. I thought that was actually really funny. I'm yeah. just like, oh, And they keep trying to leave, and they're I like, know. don't leave. Nobody, everybody's like, shut up, sit down. <laughs> Like, nobody wants to witness your chaos, your life unfolding. Y'all are all fighting right now. (gasps) Tom is making fun of Gatsby because he's wearing a pink fucking suit. I mean. Whatever. He's got the confidence to pull off a pink suit. That's what I love about Gatsby. Gatsby's like, I can do it. I can do what I want. I'm comfortable. It's fun. I'm Gatsby. I'm Gatsby. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I think I'm done with Tom. You were done with Tom. I'm surprised I had so much to say about Tom. Yeah. I'm shocked, too. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about Jordan? I know you had a couple things to say about Jordan. Um, not too much. The only thing I have to say about Jordan is, so I love the parallel of how Nick is says like he's such an honest guy, and he still feels attracted to Jordan. Like this point, like where he almost loves her, mm-hmm. and like he wants to like you know be with her. Yeah. Um. However, this actually goes kind of like into Nick's character. That's okay. So it's insinuated several times through the book that he's got a girl back home that, like, they have an understanding that they're going to yeah. get married. However, Nick is still seeing Jordan, who's a liar. And I think that – I feel like other people are rubbing off on Nick. Really? Because the way that I saw it was that when he felt like he was starting to have feelings for Jordan, he wrote to that girl back home and ended it. I don't think he ever wrote back to her. I think he was wanting to. I mean, he said he did. Oh. He read this book too fast. <laughs> we give ourselves two weeks for a reason. Part of that is to procrastinate for a week, and the second part is to read it in a week. I read this book in one day. It was too fast. It was way too fast. Too fast. Too fast. Well, I just thought it was, like, just so crazy how that's insinuated several times through the book. Yeah. But that he, he's he got does, a girl back home. He does specifically say that when he started feeling feelings for Jordan. That's eventually... I mean, like, they started out as friends. True. And so, like, further on into the friendship, when he realized that he was feeling things for her, he wrote to the girl back home and was like, I need to end things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, Sorry to just completely though. dismantle your point. No, but I, I feel like he didn't. <laughs> but he says he did. 
And, like, sure, he's the narrator, so we just have to take his word for what it is. But, yeah. like, he says he did. <laughs> so we I don't know. I don't think he's as honest that he, that he thinks he... I don't think he's as honest as that he, he tells himself that he is. Okay. That might be my point. Okay. And I think Jordan's just a liar. In general, we don't really get that much of Jordan. Like, right. we don't really get a huge character analysis of Jordan because we don't really see her that much. Right. Um... Except it's just really funny when they're in, like, they're having, like, a major fight. Like, you know, the, the penultimate scene, like, at the end of the book. And, like, Nick and Jordan keep trying to leave. Yeah. And they're just like, excuse us. <laughs> okay. um, so, the only point I really had about Jordan that I kind of wanted to talk about is yeah. how similar Nick and Jordan are in the way that they keep getting put in these situations that they're uncomfortable in. Okay. So, like, Tom takes Nick to the city with his mistress and he's put into this very uncomfortable situation okay and tom is flaunting this relationship or this affair in nick's face and nick is very uncomfortable and he's like i'd like to leave but he can't they keep telling him to stay and can't and we don't see any of these firsthand but can you imagine how many of those positions how many of those situations those domestic squabbles that Jordan had to witness because she was always with Tom and Daisy. I'm sure. And, like, the whole time. Like, it's even, like, the first dinner yeah. when they're hanging out. Like, I was, like, just cringing. Exactly. And she knows. I yeah. I mean, like, she knows everything that's going on. Yeah. Because she pretty much is living there, essentially. I mean, not really, but, like, you know, she's there all the time. Well, it's like you know? you're hanging out with your best friend. Right. So it's like, can you imagine how many situations the two of these people have been put into that are so similar to each other? And then at the end, they get put into the same situation with each other. You know, because then after after that, Nick is always present or almost always present when Gatsby and Daisy are together. And so he's witnessing this affair happening. And it's like, I'm sure Daisy told Jordan about it. Oh, know? yeah. Like, and then they're all put together in the same room. And poor Daisy, or poor Nick and Jordan are just like, can we leave? Can, can we, we stop being privy to your domestic squabbles? Yeah, they're like, can we leave? They're like, no, sit down. You're like, god damn it. I just want to leave. Like, why do we need an audience? What's happening? Well, I mean, somebody has to write the book. I mean, that's true, but like, <laughs> okay, fine. Okay. Uh, okay, anything else about Jordan? No. Boring. Can we pause for a moment? Yeah. And we're back. We took a booze break slash pee break. Yep. Um, because alcohol makes you pee. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna be moving on to our last character, talking about the Great Gatsby. I was gonna like put more words in front of it. Oh, okay, sorry. It's fine. I mean like He's the Great Gatsby. But he's like the Great Gatsby. Yeah. Okay, that's who we're talking about. Oh, sorry, go ahead. What were you going to say? Uh, just, again, charismatic, enigmatic, mysterious, uh, a dream. Elusive. Elusive. Yes. Very that type of, like, Bond, James Bond kind of a guy, I feel. Yeah. Um. So, Jay Gatsby, mm-hmm. or James Gats. Yep. Um. He's obsessed with the past. Indeed. He's obsessed with getting back to what he and Daisy used to have together. Yeah. He represents the American dream and how fragile it is mm-hmm. and that how that dream can is built on shadows and lies. Mm-hmm. Um, something I want to say is that, so Gatsby is asking Daisy to tell Tom that she never loves Tom. Yeah. And that's too much to ask of somebody. It's very absolute. 
It is. It's way. Yes, Jay. Jay, like I know him. Yeah, like you're BFF. <laughs> oh my god, like we're BFFs. Like so. nobody in the book even calls him. Nobody Jay. calls him that. I'm just I'm BFFs with him. Um, so <laughs> Gatsby does deal in like those absolutes where, um, I lost my train of thought, but I'm gonna okay. like just like say something until like I get there. Yeah, you're just gonna ramble. Until I'm just you get gonna to ramble until process. I get to that thought process. Okay, so he's obsessed with the past and nostalgia of the past because you know he didn't have like the money, but he has the money now. So he wants what he and Daisy once had, and then he tells Nick like she used to be different old sport. She's changed old sport. So my note with that is that. You know, sometimes, like, you know, you always have, like, your first love. But sometimes in new relationships, we grow apart from the things that we once loved. That can be with people. That can be with things. Mm-hmm. Like, when you're in a relationship with somebody, you're like, oh, yeah, we love these types of movies. Or, oh, yeah, we love this type of food. Right. And that's just, like, with just how time flies. Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to grow apart from it. You're going to find different things to love and different things to like because we're not going to be the same. And Gatsby wants it to be the same. Yeah. Okay. That was my thought. Okay. Uh, so I wrote, he's a mysterious man. Ooh. That everyone has these theories about. And oh, most so of them many theories. are not right. I think we watched the movie last weekend. Yeah. And you were like, it reminds me of Regina in Mean Girls. <laughs> it does. Because they're all like, oh my god, did you hear? Did you hear? He's like the brother to Kaiser. So yeah. Like, and like, oh my god, like I heard that like he like killed like a bunch of like, you know, Germans and stuff. Yeah. Or like. He's killed a man. Oh my god. Yeah. Like, do you know about like Gatsby? <laughs> Let me tell you. Let me tell you all these crazy made up things. Right. Oh my god, we sat together one time, like at a dinner. Yeah. His hair is so big because it contains all his lies. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. So. Can we do like a Mean Girls version of like the Great Gatsby? <laughs> the Great Gatsby. <laughs> that would be that would hilarious. Be so like good. one time, I heard. I heard that all this crazy shit. Okay, so I wanted to read the description of him. From the book really quickly. Oh my. I just love the way that people are described. So this is, um, in my book it's page 52 and 53, but I don't know if that's the same in yours. I think it might, mine's page 54. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Chapter three, nonetheless. <laughs> and he's describing his smile and I just, it makes me melt. He says, he smiled understandingly. Much more than understandingly, it was one of those rare smiles with a quality of eternal reassurance in it that you might come across four or five times in a life. It faced, or seemed to face, the whole external world for an instant and then concentrated on you with an irresistible prejudice in your favor. It understood you so far as you wanted to be understood, believed in you as you would like to believe in yourself, and assured you that it was that it had precisely the impression of you that at your very best you hoped to convey. Precisely at that point it vanished, and I was looking at an elegant young roughneck. Isn't that beautiful? That was beautiful. Like, okay. the smile that just makes you feel like you're the only person in the world. Yeah, like, with, especially because he's meeting him at a party. Of hundreds of people. This is back to the intimacy thing yes. that Jordan was talking about. So I do concur with that point there where you can't be intimate at a big party because yeah. you're like, my focus is on you. Right. Even though there's, like, all this crazy shit happening. And I'm giving happening. you my attention. Right, and I'm not worried about my house breaking down or some right. people doing weird shit in my people house. stealing my shit or breaking my stuff. <sighs> 
The dedication. God, dedication. Because that would not be that way. No, 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 no. I'd be like, get the fuck out. It's 3 a.m. I'm like, can you use a coaster? <laughs> not really. I'm not that person, but, you know, pretty much. Right. You're like, no, do what you want. As you like, slide a coaster towards mm-hmm. somebody. Like, I want you to be comfortable here, you know. Yeah. Mi casa like, es su casa. This is your home. But here's a coaster. And here's a coaster. <laughs> yeah. So I, so actually I had a quote that I wrote down that was like right after that smile quote. Okay. I love that. So it's so funny to me. Like you pick out these like really gorgeous lyrical quotes. And for me, like I pick out these quotes that I feel like completely like describe a person. Okay. But like they're straightforward. So my quote, and it comes from Nick, goes, um, and it's, I'm going to like kind of cut it. It's like, whose elaborate formality of speech just missed being absurd. I got a strong impression that he was picking his words with care. Mm. And that's because, as we know, like, his whole personality is, like... It's a facade. It is all a facade. He's trying to live this, like, mysterious, like, life, but it's all a facade. And, like, Nick can tell that it's, like, a facade. Like, you're picking your words with care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. That's a good point. That's a, that's a very good passage. That, yeah, that whole passage where we first meet Gatsby is just great. Oh, okay, so I um I I wanna tell my listeners I absolutely hate it when people write in their fucking books. <laughs> I just think it's just don't don't write. Like put a tab in it, put a sticky note down, like just stop writing your books. So I bought a used book um at half price and I didn't realize how like torn up this poor book was. <laughs> but it was actually really funny because it was somebody who like you can tell it was somebody who had never read this book before. And, like, the whole time, like, we're introducing, like, to Gatsby, the other person's right, that's Gatsby. And they're like, wait, maybe it's not Gatsby? Wait, definitely Gatsby? And then he's all like, I'm Gatsby. And then the person wrote, boom, called it. <laughs> Uh-oh. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, my God. It just kind of made reading the book, like, a little bit more yeah. personal and interesting because, you know, somebody else is having different thoughts but they're reading the same story as you. Yeah. So one of the other practices that they do in Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is something called marginalia. Mm-hmm. And so they write notes in the margins of their books and they swap the books with each other. So it's two people who host the podcast, like oh. you and I. And so like if I were to give you my book and then you would read some of my marginalia and we would talk about it and why I wrote that message and things like that and what my thought process was behind that. And I think it's interesting, yeah. but I just do not like writing in books. I just don't like to write in books. I also bought my book at half price, and there was, like, a stack of them. This is, like, probably a high school version of the book. Like that, It looks like it. I, yeah. think I, like, I think I read that exact, like, edition. Right. Probably. When I was in high school. And there were, like, 15 of them on the shelf. And I literally went through all 15 books, flipping through them to make sure I found one that didn't have any writing in it. And this one doesn't have any writing in it. Because several of the ones I looked at looked like yours. And I was like, nah, fuck that. No, fuck it. I, I hate don't it like so it. much. It's distracting. You know what? I, I appreciate those slacker students who don't write in their books who probably got an F on whatever paper they had to write. Because thank you for not, for letting me buy this book for 350 and not having any notes oh, in it. Oh, God. I, I hate appreciate it. that. I hate it so much. Okay. okay. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> what else do you want to talk about with Gatsby? Because this is, like, our – this is our character. This is, like – this is our man. This is, like, the embodiment of the American dream of a man, like, rising above his station. Yeah. 
I just have a couple of things, and I don't want to get into too many things because I have a lot of questions about Gatsby. That okay, I cool, cool, really cool, talk cool. About. cool, cool, cool. Um, so like, like we talked about with Nick, I think he's very lonely, mm-hmm. and he's made this image in his mind of what he wants to happen and how he wants his life to go with or without Daisy. He wants his life to go, and he's portraying that life as best as he can. And then he realizes that Daisy doesn't like it, and it stops. It just immediately halts. Oh, immediately. And he becomes even more lonely, mm-hmm. I think. You know, because before, you know, he's throwing all these big parties. He does get those interactions with people, even if they don't realize that's who it is. But then the party stops, and then Daisy stops coming, and then it's just Nick. And then he's just spending time with Nick, and it's just really sad. He's too lonely middle-aged men not middle-aged but no they're our age i'm sorry i'm sorry i oh was misquoted jeez i am two drinks deep now two drinks deep we're um, in deep these new adult men <laughs> put it that way because they really kind of are especially like at this time you know you and i i feel like we became adults adults at 19 you mm-hmm. know like we moved out on our own we started paying our own bills you know, like, they went to college, and then they lived at home, or Gatsby was in the military, and, you know, so, like, you've always, they've always had someone over top of them overseeing them, and now they're new, fresh adults out on their own, like, trying to make shit work. Yeah. They're lonely. Yeah. New young adults that are just trying to figure out their shit. So, not a ton to say, aside from what we're going to talk about no, a little bit. No, I understand. I To me, Gatsby's, like, that typical... You see so so much of this in media and movies and TV shows where you know you're like you're rich and like you're a celebrity and like you host all these parties, but then you know like Sunday morning comes around, you don't have anybody to brunch with. Yeah, you're home by yourself, mm-hmm. and then and you're all alone people, again. His workers are there cleaning up the mess that was made over the weekend, mm-hmm. and that's it's a sad picture. Well, what makes me very sad is so Gatsby had like this like guy who was like boarding at his house, so yeah. some like random like loafer. Yes, and this guy that was living in Gatsby's house doesn't even go to Gatsby's funeral. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, that's, like, that penultimate, like, disgusting thing there. Yeah. Like, Nick just is completely disillusioned by life because people only care about their image, but they don't care about people. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this was that time. Yeah. This, all of it feels like, a portrayal of what people think other people want to see. Hmm. That's lives. how Gatsby feels. Yeah. He's a portrayal of what people want to see. Yeah. I mean, I always, like, I just imagine Gatsby as this just, like, hot hunk of a man. I mean, now I see Gatsby as Leonardo DiCaprio. Okay. Mm. All right. Can we take a second and talk about the movie? Can we, we talk about Leonardo DiCaprio in the movie? Can we just talk about that whole fucking movie? The whole movie? So Jessica and I saw this movie in theaters when it came out, and as we were leaving the theater, I bought the soundtrack because the music in this movie is so fucking good. It's so good. Baz Luhrmann is so good. Oh, but, like, as, like, a book-to-a-movie adaptation. It's so good. And, like, because we watched the movie before, like, we read the book, um, I mean, I read the book in high school, whatever. I, I mean, in this particular instance. In this instance, as an older person who's a little bit, a little bit more knowledgeable. Yeah. Um, it was just the, one of the best book to movie adaptations. Like, almost everything was in there. Yes. I mean, keep in mind, this is a simple storyline that's very layered. Mm-hmm. Um, but, 
just one of my favorites. It was so good that even to the point of I wasn't listening to the soundtrack when I read the book, I could still hear the songs that were playing. Yeah, like, you know, like when they're going to lunch, you can hear like that hundred dollar bills. bills. (laughs) You're like, this is a Jay Z song. And if you guys haven't heard this song, you need to find it because it's so good. (laughs) And then, Um, like, they're at the party, like, in your head, you're going, little party never killed nobody. And, like, the book is, like, super serious, but they're listening to Fergie. There is even a a point where he describes a sad woman. Uh, playing the piano and you can hear this beautiful I'm pretty sure it's a Florence and the Machine song in the background playing Mm -hmm. and I can just hear it I can't necessarily hear the words but I can hear the melody of this song Mm -hmm. while I was reading the book because the music in the movie was just so powerful and so well chosen so I wrote a note down for that and like my note says typical drunk sad bitch at a party (laughs) (laughs) yes sitting at the piano I was reading this. I'm like, oh, so typical. Drunk, sad bitch. They're all like crying over their husbands, yeah. and they're men. They're always like, and like all, all these. It's hilarious actually because it's such a parallel to like what I see when I go to parties, <laughs> and like these all these wives are like, oh my god, you always want us to leave early. I never have any fun, and they're like, okay, you know, we're leaving at like 3 a.m. Can we yeah. go home, please? Pro tip to wives: just go without your husband. Go with your best. <laughs> go friend. with your best friend. Leave the man at home. Because yeah, my husband is a homebody <laughs> in a fuddy dud. We call him Dream Killer Wesley, and <laughs> Dream he doesn't Killer Wesley. like to be out over those things. And I don't always like to do that, so I go with you or yeah. other friends. And yeah, we get to stay out for as long as we want. There you go. There we go. I just okay. I just love that whole description of like the yeah. party coming to the end. Yeah. Everybody crying. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my god, can we just stay? People are just like rolling on the ground. The party's over. Like, <laughs> guys, let's like just go. Yeah. Okay. Do you have anything else to say about Gatsby? Um Okay. I have one thing to say. Okay. And it's a quote. And I don't know if it like fits like with like I think it does fit with the character. Okay. Okay. So the quote is, Americans, while occasionally willing to be serfs, have always been obstinate about being peasantry. Ooh, okay. And I feel like this fits with Gatsby, because yes, he is driven by his love and dedication for Daisy, but he's also driven to be somebody, not to be poor, like not to be a peasant. Like you can be served. Like I will work for you for like this amount of time. Yeah. To like gain something for myself. But if I never have that for myself, what's the point? Right. And this quote just, God, it's just so fucking timeless because that's how it feels right now where it's like, am I going to get a job like working on the side of the road or like, no, like I, I have aspirations for myself. I know I'm going to work harder, but I don't want to work in just like some dead end job. Right. Where there's no future. Where there's no future. And I, Gatsby is all about his future. And, like, he has a goal. His future, he wants it with Daisy. But yeah. obviously it didn't happen. Yeah. Kind okay. of sad. All right. I like that. Are you ready to move into questions? Um, yeah. You want to talk about them? Okay. Who do you want to go first? Can I segue from what you were talking about into my first question? Um, sure. Three questions. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. So before he even meets Daisy, he's imagining this lavish and grand lifestyle. Yes. Did Daisy complete this fantasy for him? 
does he hold this fantasized version of Daisy too high? And can she ever live up to his expectations? That was three questions in one question. So I guess I technically have six questions. That's a lot. I'm sorry. Okay. So does he hold Daisy too high? Yes. Absolutely. Will Daisy ever live up to his expectations? No. Okay. Um, Did Daisy complete the fantasy of his life? And I do think that Daisy completed the fantasy of his life because Daisy comes from a very well-to-do family um rich girls socialite that he wants yes and he wants to be able to marry into that but obviously that's not allowed and provide that for her yes Mm -hmm. and so i think daisy does complete that fantasy so it almost makes me think like where's their connection like where's their love right and i know that gatsby loves her because he's done so much for her he bought this house across like their but channel is it because he loves her or is it because he loves the idea of her um, they spent a month together, and then they had a written relationship while he was away. I mean, but that happens, you know, it's wartime. I, I, and, okay, that's why that wasn't part of my question, but, like, since you brought it up, <laughs> like, we're going to talk about it. You know, like, is it just the idea of completing the fantasy, and, like you said, Daisy's part of this rich family that he wants to this lifestyle that he wants to be a part of. Does he really love Daisy? Does he work so hard for all of this because of Daisy? Because of the idea of Daisy? I think he works really hard because of the idea of this lifestyle. And, like, we know this because um, Gatsby's father comes to the funeral with, like, like a journal. (sighs) Of a, it's a book, and he's written on the back page of the book. Yeah, about, like, you know, how to make yourself better. That part fucked me up, man. Wake up at this time. Like, work out. Read this many books. Practice allocation. And it was just so crazy to me. So I do think, I do think, I do think he loves Daisy, but I, I also think, like, it's more than that. Okay. Um, I do think it's, like, also about an image status. Okay. Because he's always wanting to improve himself. hmm Okay. All right. Do you want to? Yeah. Okay. All right. <clears throat> this is a well-written question. I'm really. I love doing this. Like I like trying to like write good questions. Oh, man, I got stuck on that first question because I had so many thoughts and I was trying to close. Them I do into have questions. a lot of thoughts, and it's hard to put them, yeah. put them down because yes, I do believe in the love. I also believe in the image. And like, come on, that's like what we all do. Like I'm in a relationship too, but I also believe in image. I don't want my man walking out of the house looking like shit. <laughs> all right, you know, I want to look like a power couple. So. <laughs> okay <laughs> that's just that's just layered it's just very deep i think that's different though than it's different yeah yeah because it's almost a culture mm-hmm. that gatsby is wanting to be a part of mm. it's a cast uh, thank you a cast yes yes because we do have a fucking cast system oh yeah absolutely absolutely and he just wants to be part of like the top tier yeah and help getting into a top tier um, and we all know this from history, like getting into like a tier, you have to marry well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's just how it is. And yeah. that's how like rich people stay rich because they marry rich people. They marry rich people. It's <laughs> <laughs> a whole other conversation. That's a whole other conversation. Okay. Um, all right. My question, a popular classroom fallacy holds that classics are universal and timeless. How do you think the great Gatsby parallels with the world that we live in today? Hmm. This is a very good question. Because it is very timeless, I feel like it can relate to what we deal with today. Um, we're dealing with a little bit of what's happening in this like chaos 
that was the 20s now even in the 20s oh my god it's like 100 years later later you know we're in this global pandemic right now and people are just being stupid Mm. and you know like they're still going out and they're doing things that they know they're not supposed to which is exactly what they're doing in the 20s going out and doing things they're not supposed to aka buying liquor Mm -hmm. you know and that's how a lot of people are getting by in 2020 but um it just it's like this and like you said earlier like the media you portray this lifestyle that you want people to think that you have even if it's not true even if you know you're only showing a tenth of what your life is really like Mm -hmm. to people online Mm -hmm. and you're creating this idea of your life that people want, that they want to emulate, you know, especially if you're like a celebrity or an influencer or something like that. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's an unattainable thing. It's not real life. No, it's not. It's fake. We know that. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. But I hope other people know that. I mean, I I hope people do, but some people don't. I know. So who's time for all that shit? It's hard. It's hard. Just doing this podcast is hard. God, I think I'm a social media presence. Uh, hard. God, if I could just like quit my job and do this full time, full time, that'd be fucking fabulous. Fucking fabulous. Yeah. Market the shit out of this bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we work full time because we have to pay bills. Ah, this is true. And All right. Podcast doesn't pay bills yet. Ask me your question. Okay. I lie in wait. Okay. I feel like this is a question that I know the answer to. But it has to be talked about. Oh, yeah. Put it out there. Put okay. it out in the world. Okay. Nick says, you can't repeat the past. And Gatsby responds, why, of course you can. Why, you co- can't repeat the can't repeat the past. Why, of course you can. So what do you think about this interaction? Is this the idea that makes him do all of these things for Daisy? Hmm. My answer to that second question is yes. Well, yeah, we've already talked about yeah, how he's obsessed course. with the past, and he's obsessed with past Daisy, but people grow. People grow. You can't, that's why he's holding her too, to too much of a high standard. Yep. Because you're not the same person that you were five years ago. So, follow up impromptu question Was this relationship always doomed? Don't ask me that. <laughs> that's just sad. I, I mean, I want to believe in love. <laughs> Um, yes, I'm going to say that this relationship was always doomed, and here's the reason why. If, let's say, Gatsby originally got Daisy, um, would she have been satisfied with him for those first five years as he struggled yeah. to try and become successful and make money to the kind of lifestyle that she is, that she knows? Mm-hmm. And is she going to appreciate that, that he did that? Because he didn't do it, he didn't, he's not making money in an honest way. Mm-mm. He's making money in a bootlegging kind of yeah. way, you know, with like grocery stores and stuff. Um, in a way, because I have to be practical, you know, I'm not 17 anymore. Is I understand that those are like the things that people fight about mm-hmm. being unhappy in like your marriage and your relationship can and can be due to money issues because yeah. you come from a different type of lifestyle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Even though I believe in love. I know. Sometimes happily ever after, you have to have happily ever after and, you know, more. Yeah, and we've talked about this. Love yeah. is not the end-all be-all. Love is not the end-all be-all. You ha- And especially when you're married, you have to have a partnership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also think it's important to love yourself, and I don't think any of the characters in this book love themselves. Yes! Woo! 
can like high five let's high five oh my god amen hallelujah hello like jesus (laughs) well i was scott fitzgerald and zelda they both don't love themselves no they don't yeah okay all right so my turn it's your turn my turn you go Wait Do you second. have a third question, or is it just me that has no, a third I, question? No, I have two questions. Did you only ask one question already? I only asked one oh question god. already. I'm so sorry. Oh my god, but I, I, I thought I wrote it down, but like I guess I didn't write it down. I it's had a question. I'm going to need you to be a little bit better prepared. Oh my god, I'm so frustrated. <sighs> Take a moment. Okay. About it. Okay. Um. Here's my question. Okay. So... This book is given to a lot of high schoolers. Mm-hmm. However, this book can, contains a lot of themes, motifs, and symbols that, as someone who's 16, 17, I don't feel like they understand it. Mm-hmm. Do you think this is a good book for high school literature? I think it's a good starting point to jumpstart people into classic literature because it is one of the classics of our genera- of, of literature in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I read this several years ago and, but again, it's like, I understood it at that time of my life. I understand it better now at this time of my life. And in 10 years when I read it again, will I understand it even better then? Right. Like what points am I going to have to talk about this book when I'm like 10 years older? When I'm like, so for me, like. I loved reading this at this period of my life. Yeah, because absolutely. Because I do feel like the book parallels so much with what we go through mm-hmm. all the time. Alcohol, parties, image, you know, um, trying to be something that you're not. Yeah. And that, yes, that does kind of correlate with people who are in high school, but this is about people who are in, like, their late 20s and they are have an established life and, it like, is- established relationships and it's your life falling apart around you. It's this lawlessness, essentially. Yes. Because you're told from a certain age that you are going to go to school and get a career. Mm-hmm. And as long as you go to school and you get a career, your life is going to fall into place after that. And it doesn't. No. I mean, especially we see that with Nick. I mean, he goes to school. He goes to Yale. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the highest, best schools ever and he gets a job that he thinks he's going to want as a bond salesman. And it doesn't work out. He hates it. He hates he's it. not very good at it. Typical 30-year-old feelings exactly. that we all feel every day. That everyone feels. And it's like, I, it's just, it's this uncertain time in your life. You know, I mean, he's upset that he's 30 and not married. You yeah. Know? Like, he's getting to that point in his life where it's not acceptable for him to not be married anymore. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I mean, we experience that today even. Oh, you know, yeah. You and I are both married, but, you know, neither one of us have kids. Mm-mm. And that's a pressure that we have to feel. So, it's intense. Very intense. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Your question. My question. Let me focus. I'm going to drink while you do that. Okay. Do we think that Thompson's Wilson... <laughs> My notes are really crazy. I said, do we think Tom sends Wilson after Tom? <laughs> okay. I meant Gatsby. Yes, I know you mean. <laughs> do we think that Tom sends Wilson after Gatsby? Because he feels like Gatsby may 
that Daisy may choose Gatsby over him, especially after losing Myrtle. Is this purely a revenge situation, or is he solving a problem and covering his own ass? Oh, I, I, I don't think it's because of choosing, choosing Gatsby over him. I don't think that's what it is at this point, because... So, there's that scene in the book where... Oh, and it's so sad, because Gatsby's waiting outside of Daisy and Tom's house, and he wants to make sure... Tom doesn't give Daisy a hard time. Yeah. And then Nick goes and, like, checks out, checks it out. But he can see Tom and Daisy sitting down at the kitchen table in front of a plate of, like, cold fried chicken. Yeah. Talking in, like, a comfortable conversation. An intimate conversation. An intimate conversation. And I feel like Daisy's telling Tom everything. Mm. Though we don't get to hear this conversation, it's like that kind of, those moments you have in, like, your relationship where you have to talk about some, like, shitty things that you had and you have to say things like, how do we move how do we move on from this? Yeah. I think Tom is covering up loose ends. Okay. Okay. When he has Wilson go after Gatsby. Okay. I don't think it's for, like, Daisy choosing him. I think Tom's just solving a problem and covering his own ass. Okay. And covering Daisy's ass, too. Yeah. Because I do think, in a way, Tom does love Daisy, but yeah. oh, he's yeah. just an idiot. I think there's there's tr- there's love in the romantic sense mm-hmm. of the word. And then there's love in a utilitarian sense of the word. And this is a utilitarian love. This is the utilitarian Absolutely. love. Absolutely. For sure. Daisy and Gatsby may have the romance love. They have, like, the firework love. Yes. But fireworks burn. And they don't last. Oh, my God. <laughs> God, you're so smart. You're oh, so smart. God, that was beautiful. Okay. Why don't we write? I don't Jeez. know. You write. <laughs> you gotta get to it. I know. I have to get to it. That was beautiful. I okay. love that. Good right. question. I don't have any other questions. No other questions. Okay. Can we move into some additional points? I think you had some. I have some. This is kind of a random section that we put in just to people who don't listen all the time. Maybe we don't always have additional points, but with a book like this, there's so many things that we want to talk about. Well, there's so maybe, many symbols. Right. That don't maybe fit into our character analysis or our questions or our sparklets. These Mm -hmm. are just additional things that we want to talk about outside of those things. So did you want to start that? Okay. So I do feel like there is a lot of symbolism in this book. And my favorite symbolism is the symbolism of the green light. Daisy being that green light. My favorite, favorite quote is... Are you going to steal one of my sparklets? No. (laughs) Okay. Maybe. Okay. Okay. My favorite quote is, Nick is watching Gatsby, like, uh, realize, like, that uh, Daisy's not just an idea anymore. She's a person. And a person is, like, person, people make mistakes. And they're not perfect. And Gatsby's had this idea in his head for years that of this perfect image. And the quote is, his count of enchanted objects had diminished by one. Fuck you. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Let's talk about that then, since that's what we're doing. Okay. Um, so I wrote the same thing. I, that was one of my sparklets. And I said, this is a sad and beautiful realization. Gatsby has been staring at this green light as if it was Daisy for yes. so long. Yes. That now that Daisy's in his life, he no longer can project his idea of her into that green light. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Oh, that was my exact same thought with okay. that, too. However, I know that this is a symbolism with Dr. T.J. Eckelberg. Um, and then how there's eyes always watching your actions. Mm-hmm. Is that how you felt about the symbol? Because I don't look up spark notes and shit like that. No, I don't either. So I um, have to, because I, I don't want to do that. 
I want to read it like as a person. This is R. Not an intellectual. I'm just reading a book. Right. And I want to talk about what it it means to me or what it means to, like, other readers. Yeah. So I'm thinking about, like, what happens there in the Valley of Ashes Mm -hmm. with the eyes of God is what they call it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, this is where... Tom picks up his mistress. Mm-hmm. This is where he's always lying mm-hmm. to Wilson. Yeah. This is where Myrtle dies. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where the lie begins that it was Gatsby that killed her and not Daisy. I don't know. I don't know. I don't feel like I see that too much. A little bit. Um, I just find it so interesting that these eyes are used on the cover Mm-hmm. Of like almost every great single Gatsby, book. every single book, and it's not like the biggest symbol though. No, in the book when you read it, it's just like maybe has like one or two, yeah, one or two points. And so I just think it's think what else does it mean? For because for me it also means like you know you're going from like it's almost like this um, this midway between two different types of lifestyles yep. and how people live two different types of lives, mm-hmm. and then the eyes of God are seeing like what lies in between those lives. Yeah. And it's all of our mistakes and bad judgments. Mm-hmm. I like that. Two, I think it may just be one of those things that's such a striking visual image. True. It's one of those visual images that each person imagines pretty much the same way. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is no room for interpretation on this. It's a gigantic billboard. It's a bill. It's an advertisement of blue eyes with yellow glasses. Like, you yeah. can't imagine that any other way, mm-hmm. you know? So maybe that's why it's just so poignant. Yeah. So. Well, I just wanted to talk about symbolism, but okay. I know that you have some things that you wanted to talk about. Uh, I just have a couple points about foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. We're going to go a little, little AP English here. Just My goodness. 2.5 seconds. Okay. So the first part is that Nick goes to, there's a car accident <gasps> in the driveway, and everybody thinks that we're going to call him Owl Eyes, because that's the only name that we ever know of this guy. The old guy. We think he's to blame, but hey, by the way, there's another person in the car. <gasps> the biggest foreshadowing oh. of this book. Who was it? We don't know. Yeah, and he's also, like, somebody else is behind the wheel. I didn't have this accident. Yeah. Um, also, Jordan says, it takes two to make an accident. Yes! I loved that oh, line. Oh, God. And I was like, ooh. I debated putting that as a, as a sparklet because I was like, Oh, that does work. Because it does work out of context as well. Oh, yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does. It takes two people to make an accident. Mm, with anything. Yeah. Okay. My second point mm-hmm. is about colors. Interesting. Tell me. The color specifically, yellow, Okay. is motherfucking everywhere. Okay. Okay. So, Gatsby's yellow car. Mm. They described the light in the garage above Myrtle's body as being yellow. The leaves above Gatsby when he's in the pool are yellow. The windows in Tom's apartment are yellow. There are yellow train cars at one point. And then, of course, T.J. Eckelberg's eyes are yellow. Everything is fucking yellow. So what does that mean? I don't know. I mean, I know we're all like, fuck your English class. Fuck your English class. And now we're all like, why do I see this color so many different places? At first... I think it's tragedy is what I'm thinking. Mm. So Gatsby's car obviously is the the yellow car that kills Myrtle in the end. And this is a little out of order, of course. And then the yellow light is above Myrtle's body Mm -hmm. when she's dead. And then the leaves are above Gatsby when he's swimming right before he dies. And then in Tom's apartment, this is when um, 
Nick is drunk and he says he's within and without. And this is only the second time he's been drunk and he's witnessing. It's also an affair. An affair. Yeah, he was witnessing the tragedy of, of an affair. Yeah, and he's it's his cousin, you mm-hmm. know, like he's witnessing his cousin's husband. And like they're not close cousins, you know, but still like no, they're this like is, second cousins. This is a family member, mm-hmm. you know, that you're witnessing this tragedy happen upon. Mm-hmm. Um and then there's yellow train cars when he's decided to leave New York and to go back to the Middle West. Um these train cars are yellow and he says that feels like home to him. But I feel like there's a tinge of tragedy in there because he has to go back home. And even though he may be happier there, he's just leaving this very terrible situation that he's kind of put himself in. And then, of course, you know, the eyes. The eyes of God are yellow. And like you said, they watch this, this intermedium place where people are going from, you know, a raucous lifestyle to their normal lives or this party mm-hmm. so i love that yeah i didn't see that at all yeah everything's that's so great fucking yellow okay everything's yellow yellow it drives me crazy <laughs> and i didn't notice it until the end and i was like oh my god everything's yellow and i had to like flip back through pages i was like oh my god i'm pretty sure the lights are yellow let me find them let me find it ah. and like i'm pretty sure there were other things that were yellow but like it just it's everywhere why I don't know. I don't either. Okay. All right. Do you want to move on to our sparklets? I thought, don't we ask each other if we like it? Let's do that at the end. That feels like an ending situation. All right. Well, let me switch our guy laying around. All right. Sparklets. You want to go first? Um, Sure, because I only have one. Since you took my other one. I'm sorry. Chaos. Uh, okay, this is Wolfsheim, and he's talking about Gatsby's funeral and why he won't come to Gatsby's funeral. Okay. He says, let us learn to show our friendship for a man when he is alive and not after he is dead. Mm. And I feel like that speaks for itself. I think it's an excuse on his end, but taking that out of context. Text out of context. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. That's so beautiful. Yeah. I liked it a lot. <laughs> okay, so I have there's this I know I've had a lot of quotes. This this book has a lot of really great quotes. It does. Um my quote is and I think part of this is because I do feel like F. Scott Fitzgerald was so disillusioned. Yes. That's just like, oh my god, just like, okay, I get it. Just move to Europe. Okay. <laughs> just be happy there. Do what you want. Um and I like this text because it reminds me of how we feel today because we have to hustle so much. Mm-hmm. There are only the pursued, the pursuing, the busy, and the tired. I like that. And that just reminds me so much of our caste system mm-hmm. that we have that's, like, not really in place, but it's there. We all know it. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of how, like, you're always busy. You're pursuing your dreams. You're tired or you're being pursued because people want something from you. And that was just one of my one of my favorite quotes in this book. It just like really spoke to me. I like that a lot. Yeah. I have another one. Uh, I think I said all of mine earlier. Okay. What? That's not supposed to do that. <laughs> ah, I did have another one. Okay. All right. So this kind of goes with Gatsby. 
He must have felt that he had lost the old warm world, paid a high price for living too long with a single dream. Mm. And that really gets to me because it just makes me so sad. But like you have this dream and you pursue it and you pursue it. Well, it's gone. It's not the same dream. And that's not the same dream. You're just putting too many expectations on it. You know, I think that ties into his enchanted objects thing mm-hmm. as well. Because, like, he has this dream that he's chasing forever and ever and ever. But he's changed. The world around him has changed. All these variables in this dream have changed. It's not the same dream anymore. Mm-hmm. But he's still chasing it nonetheless, even though that dream can't be a reality anymore. No. It's so sad. And I do think Gatsby paid a high price. Oh, he did. Definitely did. I mean, the highest price. He died. He died! He got fucking shot. He got fucking shot. In a swimming pool. Yeah. That he didn't get to use all summer. All summer. Except the one time when he died. Ah, poor guy. Fucking tragedy. Very okay. tragic. All right. Are we ready for the ending questions? Are we ready to wrap it up? Yeah, let's wrap it up. Okay. Did you like it? I did. Again, um, I think you should read this as an adult in your 20s. Absolutely. Because, I mean, I did read it when I was in high school, but I didn't, like, get to fully take in everybody's disillusionment with the world. And now that I'm older, I see all these points that our narrator has, and I do feel like people should read this when they're older and not necessarily in high school. Um, Because the characters in the novel are my age, and I understand them. Yeah. So I do recommend it. Okay. Absolutely. Um, it is a very fast read. Mm-hmm. It's 189 pages. Oh, yeah. And, like, the chapters are long, too. Yeah. There's only eight chapters. Yeah. Like, it's it's a very fast read, but it's written very well. It is. It has a lot of complexity to it, a lot of layers. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely recommend it to anybody. Yeah. Absolutely. What about you? Did you like oh, it? yeah, for sure. Of course. And like you said, I had read it several years ago as a young adult. I'm not quite a teenager. I don't think I read this in high school. I think I read it right after high school. Um, but reading it as a late Mm 20-something, it's a totally different book. I mean, you just can relate to it so much differently. It is. It's a different perspective. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I really enjoyed it. So, are you wasted? No, not really. Okay. Are you? I think I'm a little tipsy. Yeah. Not like, not like where we usually are tipsy. Oh, my God. Like last week. (laughs) Last week was just straight up drunk. I hope that was a good episode. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I hope so. I hope so. I don't even know um, anymore. I can feel it in my legs. I can feel it in my face. Okay. But, like, other than that, I feel good. Okay. Okay. So, next week, we're going to read The Fault in Our Stars by John Green. Oh, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I need for everybody to have a box of tissues prepared for this book because, holy shit. I mean, are we, are we even allowed to, like, drink to this? Is it appropriate to drink to this we're book? We're going to have to drink to get through it. What am I... What is the drink going to be? Like, heartbreak alcohol? Like, you know, like, drink until, like, you're done crying? Right. (laughs) Okay, so funny story about The Fault in Our Stars. I read this book first when I first moved in with Wesley, and we were, like, trying to, you know, like, live together, and I read it in, like, the first two weeks that we lived together. This one and Me Before You, which we'll read later, and... I cried for, like, two weeks straight because I read those two books back-to-back. No. And at one point, Wesley was like, are you okay? No, I'm not okay. Like, are you not happy to live with me? Oh, my God. I'm like, no, it's just these terrible, tragic, tragic books that are just ripping my fucking heart out. 
like every other page. Like I'm fine. I'm good. I'm you fine. and I are good. We're, yeah, we're good. We're good. It's just this book. So, anyways, Fault in Our Stars by John Green. It's a great book. I'm excited to read it. I'm not ready, but I'm excited. So, of course, subscribe. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you find your podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Book Wasted Podcast. And send us a story. We want to hear from people. Yeah. yeah. Let's hear about some disillusionment or Ooh. your sad, lonely, tragic, late 20s love story. <laughs> that was great. Okay. <laughs> but as always, stay, stay wasted, wasted, my friend. friend.